welcome to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. On this show, we feature different programs, individuals, and initiatives focused on being more inclusive of individual needs. We invite you to learn right alongside us. If you want some additional resources or access to our courses, please visit our website or follow us on social media. But for right now, let's get right to the episode. Today, we're talking about post-secondary education and the opportunity to teach learners the skills to help them find meaningful employment. The organization Nuts, Bolts, and Thingamajigs has an established summer program to get people into manufacturing careers, but more recently, they've established an inclusion camp format, which focuses on supporting individuals with disabilities. Today, we're going to be talking about that program with Ed Durnell and Cindy Day. NBT's Inclusion Manufacturing Camp is a four-week program that pairs learning about soft skills and hard skills and actually gives students hands-on experience with manufacturing careers. So let's dive right in. Welcome back to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Ed Durnell and Cindy Day from NBT, and we're going to talk all about their new inclusion manufacturing camps. So Ed and Cindy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So I see that MBT hosts a variety of successful summer camps, but what was the inspiration for specifically expanding to include this new inclusive manufacturing camp? I'll speak to that real quick. There was both a corporate fit as well as a personal. So on a personal side, I have a son who has cerebral palsy And he's going to be turning 21. And my wife and I understand the world of what these young adults face in trying to find a career pathway. And secondly, we had an individual who is the director of our education and membership who used to work for Mitsubishi Electric. And he connected us with the Mitsubishi Electric American Foundation. And their sole purpose is to grant dollars to organizations that help individuals with disabilities. We didn't at the time have this inclusion camp program. However, we went to them and said, if we made a proposal about establishing this program, would you be interested? And they said, absolutely. So we put together an incredible write-up and presented it to them. And we were awarded a very nice grant to be able to help establish our inclusion camps. That's really exciting. I saw about the grant funding when I was reading about your program. And I appreciated the fact that as a former special education teacher, I always knew that 21 was the transition out of the secondary classroom. So it's nice that they have that opportunity to have some type of camp where they can build those skills to go into the workforce after they're finished with secondary school. How does that inclusion camp fit into your other camp offerings? Because I know you have a lot of different camps that you offer over the summer. The mission of the Nuts, Bolts, and Thingamajigs Foundation is to inspire and encourage individuals of all ages to pursue a career in manufacturing. We do that through three programs, our scholarships, which we've been awarding since 1990, and our traditional summer manufacturing camps, which we have been supporting for over 17 years. By the way, we supported 165 
camps across the U.S. and into Canada this past summer in 2022. But those camps are designed for younger students ages 12 to 16. The opportunity to reach what we might call an untapped pool of prospective workers was very exciting to us. And the opportunity to serve a population of young adults with disabilities, we jumped at the chance. Well, that's really great. I didn't realize there were that many camps over the summer that you hosted. That's pretty impressive. So there were two inclusion camps, correct? The two inclusion camps were in addition to the 165. Okay. So there was the two and then the rest of the camps that were offered over the right. summer across correct. the multiple states and in Canada too. Mm-hmm. So how is the inclusion camp structured? So our traditional camps are one week and it's about awareness, whereas our inclusion camps are four week programs and they are almost a mini apprenticeship or internship. So we concentrate two weeks on soft skills and two weeks on hard skills. Soft skills being learning to incorporate yourself into a culture of an organization, how to be a good team member in an organization, how to interview how to write thank you letters, all the things that we kind of take for granted, we have to help these individuals kind of develop the skill. And then the other two weeks are almost like a a mini internship for individuals to go into a plant and to experience what it is to either work on a line or do a specific manufacturing job. This is how we've structured this program with the final goal of trying to find employment for all of our campers. We ultimately want to make sure we can try to place these individuals into the manufacturing industry. So the inclusion ones are more, let's prepare for the career, whereas the other programs are more like exposure to the different topics and things like that for the younger students. Well put. So what were the two locations, remind me, for the inclusion camps this past year? The first one was held in the Chicago area. The agencies that we worked with were Trinity Services and Helping Hand. And then they actually transported their students to Triton College in River Grove for what we might call the hard skills portion of the camp. The participation there was wonderful. We had like a collaboration with all those partners. The second one was held at VPI or formerly known as Valley Packaging in Appleton, Wisconsin. They were already structured to be an employer for uh, people with barriers to employment and persons with disability falls into that category. So they had some of the programs already set up, but the Inclusion Manufacturing Camp, I think, gave them a very well-defined structure, agenda for this particular group of students who went through the four-week training. I love all the partnerships that go into this program. That's really great to hear about. So we talked a little bit about the structure and how there's the focus on the soft skills and the hard skills. So what types of soft skills practice are they receiving? You had mentioned, Ed, I think interviewing and thank you notes. Is that like a structured curriculum or is it more based on what the participants need? We have two curriculums that we've used. One of them is bring your A game. And the other one is skills that pay. 
And both of these curriculums are geared toward developing soft skills within an organization for individuals with disabilities. So we've used both of those. There's also a third group that we've used. Cindy, what was the third one that we used? Are you thinking of the DOL? The skills that pay is from the Department of Labor. uh, And that one is actually free. So that is the probably preferred curricula to use. The skills that pay cover everything from making eye contact and how to be around loud noises, things like that. The things that we take for granted, Katie, and what we're trying to teach these individuals is kind of like Cindy mentioned, having that eye contact, being able to shake hands before and after an interview, how to work together with individuals in a close setting, be it a packaging line or whatever. The things that you and I wouldn't have a problem with, someone with autism would. So trying to develop those skills for them is important. Oh, definitely. Just from my own experience, I think that's great that you filled in those two weeks just to focus on those things, because Mm -hmm. that's definitely going to be something they need to have when they go out in interview or accept a position. And so it's great that those foundational skills are being built in practice in a safe space too. I'm assuming they're doing activities to get them ready. And that's part of the curriculum, I assume, right? At least they're in a safe space where they can get it wrong. And it's not the actual interview. It's just the practice and you can practice again. And So that's really great that they have that opportunity. Some role-playing and whatnot, yes. And I know VPI added some of their other exercises that they had. It's basic communication and how to use your words to make sure somebody else knows what you want to communicate to them. And I meant to ask before, I, I can't remember if we had discussed this. It's a full day, right? It's a full like morning and afternoon, or is it just like a half it, day session? It depends on the camp host, but at VPI, it was Monday through Friday and they did half days. A lot of times what we're finding out is that because of transportation challenges, what we might call a school day or work day has to be adapted because of the particular population. That makes sense to have some flexibility then to fit everybody's needs. So we talked a little about the soft skills that they were learning. So now for those hard skills, the manufacturing type skills, they're actually going out into a plant, right, to work. Mm -hmm. So they're working alongside people, I assume, who are already in those positions and they're kind of learning to collaborate and work together. Can you talk a little bit about what that the physical skill part of the instruction looks like? So you're exactly right. With VPI, it's a repackaging company. Their number one client is Kimberly Clark. So they would go onto the plant and they would work at various lines, either emptying boxes and getting them prepared for rebranding, or they would be boxing new boxes with new materials in them, or they would work on even larger lines where they would just be incorporated with the rest of the staff at VPI. So they were incorporated as any person. So you could not tell the difference between one of our campers in a normal worker there, which we loved, because that's exactly ultimately what you want. You want them to be treated just like anyone else. And the only way you're going to do that is for them to experience that. Obviously, when they started, they were kind of off on their own doing learning. But then as as the week went along, they got moved into different positions. And eventually, they were rotating to various jobs throughout the plant. It was wonderful the way it was done. We would highly recommend, and we can send it to you, WBAY 
in Appleton came out and did about a five minute news clip of our camp. Oh yeah, definitely do. Cause I can link that in the show notes so people can take a look at what it looked like firsthand. And that's the whole point. I mean, that's even why this podcast exists is the whole celebration of bringing everybody together and not knowing necessarily who has disability and who doesn't and having everybody just kind of be one collaborative experience. So that's great that they were put into that position where they could work alongside their now coworkers after they were finished with that initial training of learning how to do the position. I wanted to speak to some of the specific students in the program and how the program maybe benefited them. What are some of the benefits that you've seen with the inclusion manufacturing camp so far? The most impactful result is that 100% of the participants at the VPI inclusion camp were employed by the end of the camp, either by VPI themselves or with a nearby manufacturing facility. So we were very happy to hear that result. As we expand these camp programs into other camp hosts and states, There's different challenges, I think, that we're going to see as they come forward, but we're trying to be as flexible in how the hosts can apply their grant funds and what they can budget for. We're seeing some different questions from new or potential camp hosts that perhaps we hadn't thought about before. So it's an exciting time. So Katie, the one good thing about this is that we're kind of like mad scientists in the laboratory. It's a total beta. Everything we're doing is new. There's precedent every time we do something. And so what we've learned is we've developed two types of camp. One is a comprehensive and one is a component. So comprehensive is VPI, where everything is done within their four walls. And then the component is where you're working with the social service groups at their location, you're working at the Triton College, and then you'll eventually be working with a business. So you have three different components that are being added together to form the camp. I would tell you that obviously the comprehensive is a little easier for us because it's all under one roof, but it's also really great to have additional partners when you do a component camp. So those are some of the things that we're learning as we go through this. Like Cindy said, we only had our first initial two camps. We're hoping to have three next year, if not more. A lot of this is, I wouldn't say we're making it up as we go along, but a lot of it is new to us. So we're learning. Yeah, that makes sense. Like with anything with the first year, it's always a learning curve, but that's really impressive that even in the first year, there was still a hundred percent of the students at the one camp who were able to be employed. So even just that within the first year is a pretty impressive feat by itself. And I can see how there's benefits to both types of program. Mm -hmm. Obviously they're getting still the same benefit of the structure of having the social skills plus the physical skills and the practicing, but then having everything all in one place versus separated, but then also having those connections. I could see how it's a trade-off both ways. And it's nice that you're offering up different options as well. So that more camps can be hosted based off of what's available. So you do have an additional camp coming for this summer then? We do. So we've talked to individuals in Denver, in St. Louis, We'll probably be back up at VPI in Appleton. Cindy and I had a discussion this morning with a group in Sarasota, Florida, and and there's a group in Tampa that's interested in doing this. And the one in Santa Clarita, California, that's actually already applied. There is an incredible interest in growing this program, which we're very happy about. 
And we want to do this. We want to make this a solid third program within NBT. I don't suspect we'll ever have 165 of these camps in a year, but why can't we have 10 a year? You know, so that's ultimately a kind of our goal. Well, it's moving forward. So it's moving in the right direction, at least to have all of that interest all spread out around the country, which is really nice too, because then you could appeal to more people in different regions. And exactly. that's really, that's really exciting that more places are interested in hosting that type of camp. So the students coming to the camp, is there an application process for them? So if they want to join the inclusion manufacturing camp, do they have to like apply, interview? We've done it a couple different ways. This past summer, we were lucky enough that both the Triton and the VPI camp already had identified who they would want to invite to participate. Not sure if that's going to be the case with some of these other organizations, but you know, with, with some of them, they already are working with this population. So it'll be very easy for them to identify which campers would be the most successful. Looking at the component model as what Ed was describing, it might be a little bit more difficult. And at that point, we would probably have to heavily rely on the social service agencies to help us recruit and identify and register those participants for the camp. So as of today, there is no requirement other than that they need to be at least old enough to become employed. Because again, that's our ultimate goal of these camps is to employ those individuals in a manufacturing environment. So they have to be a minimum of 16. More than likely, they're probably more like 18 years old to 30 or so. As Cindy pointed out, we want to drive them toward being employed. And I think that's the underlying part of getting these individuals into our camp. We work real closely with either the social services or with the organization, like a VPI. I think that's vital. I think our job's going to get harder and harder as we grow because we're going to have to get more of a marketing bent to this by driving more people to this. So the first two were fairly easy. They were almost layups because as Cindy mentioned, the individuals who they wanted to bring on board were recognized already. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest at first on this, but as we grow this program, I know that we're going to have to be very aware about driving it from a marketing standpoint. So no question about it. Another important part of our getting this program off the ground, something that we realized very early on is that we can do all this great work in training these individuals without the employers being able to know how to hire them, how to recruit them, how to retain them and how to adapt their working environments so that they can accept them in and make their facilities compliant. Not just what they have to do by law, but to train their existing workforce right now is one of those things. So one of our goals for what we're calling phase two of this program is to create and build an employer toolkit or employer guidebook that gives them tips and strategies for what they can do right away, you know, some simple things that they can do and taking a longer term approach to 
how do you change your culture to accept people with disabilities into your workforce? And how does that become commonplace instead of just a one-off here and there? That's perfect. I was actually going to ask you about that. I wanted to know about the future of the companies coming in and how that was going to be an option. I spoke to an organization a few episodes ago about their focus on that same thing that you're hiring somebody who may have a disability and now what? You can't just put them in a room and be like, okay, we're good. It has to be that changing of the culture. So I appreciate the fact that that's going to be the next phase of this program is making sure that as you expand, you have those organizations working toward bringing that inclusive mindset and bringing in those supports that are needed to retain those employees who are now trained and skilled and ready to enter their place of employment. So it's funny you say that, Katie, because we had the new president of Mitsubishi Electric speak at our golf outing. And he said, this wasn't about workforce development. This was about transformational change within the culture of an organization. How they go about viewing their workforce from an entirety is what this program is about. And I could not have put it any better. And uh, you hit it right on the head. And it's great to see you're, you're, you, you understand this because you probably live this. And it is a cultural change. It's a huge shift. No question. Definitely. It definitely requires that. I've seen so many schools, but they're like, okay, like we're putting everybody together in a room. And then they just like walk away. And I'm like, that's, that's the first step, but we have to do more. So I like that you started, you got everybody together and you ran the camps and now they're working. But then now as you expand, that's like phase two. And I think that's great that that's the next step you're going in. Right. So I had read that one of the goals of your program was to provide the pathway for meaningful careers for people who have a disability. So how do you think that the inclusion manufacturing camps have been making strides toward that goal so far? Well, I think they've done a great job from the VPI standpoint, where, as Cindy mentioned, 100% of our campers found employment. And that's ultimately the goal of Mitsubishi. They have made it very clear to us that that is what they want from these camps is employment. And the one thing that we've learned is that if you're going to be successful, you have to have a strong business partner. In a very short period of time, we've learned you've got to have a business partner who's willing to open their doors, allow these individuals to come in, take a look at their skills and see how they apply to to your need. But also seeing the individual and saying, we can develop a job for them. It's not just about, we have this job, can they fit? But we have this individual and we'll fit them in. We'll figure out a way to make them part of our organization. And that's what we ultimately want to get at is that the partnership with those businesses and with us and with social services and with schools and whatnot to be able to give these young adults a career pathway. I love that point about you said not fitting the person to the position, but building the position to fit the person. That's very well said. (laughs) And I hope that happens more often because so many people have so many unique strengths and it's why not build a position to utilize that individual person's strengths. What we're learning from organizations that have individuals with special abilities is that they'll tell you it takes a little longer to train them, but once they're trained, 
they become incredible, loyal bees of the organization. They change the culture of the organization, and they become inspiration for other members of their staff throughout the whole organization. So why wouldn't you want to embed individuals like that that are going to change your culture for the better? So in a very short period of time, we're getting that loud and clear. One thing that we did forget to mention is the national sponsor of both our traditional and the inclusion manufacturing camps is Nestle USA. In addition to Mitsubishi Electric America Foundation, Nestle USA is a national sponsor. We do have other national sponsors, but those two are specific to the inclusion camps. Oh, that's really great. I love all the connections and everything that's been done. I mean, it makes sense because it's all related to different manufacturing and things like that. So it makes sense to have those partnerships. But I think it's just so great that there's so many people on board with this type of initiative in general. And Nestle is awesome. They are a wonderful partner. <laughs> we love them. Well, I just want to thank you both, Ed and Cindy, for joining us today and telling us all about the manufacturing inclusion camps at NBT. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about them, especially this coming summer with the new ones and things like that. Well, thank you, Katie, for thank your you. time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. I hope the information in this episode taught you something new gave you a new idea, or showcase a new perspective. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a review or comment. If you have a recommendation for an individual or an organization who would make a great guest, you can message us on Twitter or Instagram, or send us an email at assemblinginclusion at gmail.com. See you next time.